Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Molino God Podcast. I know it's been like a month since we put anything out, and we are super excited to come back and talk to you guys today about sort of some Old Testament feasts, some Old Testament laws. Uh, we're recording on the day of Passover right now, and so we could not be more excited to uh, talk about Passover and some other things going on. With me today is my friend and fellow Christian, Susanna Turner. Uh, Susanna, thanks so much for coming on the Millennial God Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, hey. Uh, so today we're going to dive into, um, I think, specifically Passover, and then if we have time, we'll get into some other uh, feasts of the Old Testament. So uh, could you kind of talk through what is Passover, um, just from like a biblical standpoint, what is it? Sure. Um, well, Passover was originally given once um, Israel was a slave in Egypt and all the plagues were happening and um, they were told that the last and final plague was going to be um, the angel of death was going to pass over and um, you had to slaughter the lamb, the perfect unblemished lamb, and you had to put his blood over your doorpost and that was going to protect you and your family so that um, you'd survive. So it was obviously a really terrible night for a lot of people, uh, but those who depended on the blood of the lamb, it was their salvation. And that was the um, the final plague that allowed the Pharaoh to say, okay, get them out of here. So they finally got freed. Um, they got freed from slavery and it was given as a remembrance to always remember that blood on the lamb. It was told to do it every year. Um, Passover followed by unleavened bread because you were they were supposed to leave so fast, get out of there so fast, they didn't even have time to leaven their bread or gather anything before they left. So it was a beautiful story then. And then it just gets really more beautiful as the story comes to life later when Jesus is our Passover lamb. Yeah. He, you know, it says he... He was our Passover lamb that freed us from slavery to sin. And it was, you know, his redeeming blood that redeemed us from death. And it's a beautiful story that has even more meaning now. So, yeah, yeah, um, I guess, um, obviously, you know, we as Christians believe that everything in the Old Testament just points to Jesus in the New Testament. Like that's the entire purpose of the Old Testament. Uh, and the Passover feast is, you know, no different from that. The Passover is meant to point to Jesus. How do you see, um, you kind of talk, you, you touched on a little bit of how the Passover points to Jesus, but can you talk about um, how do we see the Passover in the New Testament? Do uh, Did Jesus partake in the, uh, in the Passover feast? Did his disciples after he was gone, like what did it look like? Um, whenever they were, you know, during the time of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, so when it was, people say that a lot, you know, is pointing to Jesus. Um, but you have to look to when it was given, it was specifically said, you know, when your children ask you, why do you keep the Passover? It was to remember how, you know, God freed you from slavery. So the whole point even originally was to be a remembrance. Obviously it's looking forward and it's painting this, you know, it's this prototype, this beautiful story of what to look forward to, but it also is a physical reminder to remember every year what, you know, the lamb did and what Jesus did. So now in the new Testament, we, you know, there's so much more to remember. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, it was, it was looking forward to that, but it, it, it grew. So now remembering and commemorating, you know, the, the suffering that Christ went through for us, um, and you know what it did and how he really freed us from that so that now we can we can walk in newness of life and we do know that jesus kept the passover i mean he was jewish though it also isn't a jewish holiday it was given to god's people um and we see it celebrated we know he celebrated it because he was a jew and the jews celebrated it um but they also celebrate it throughout the new testament um like in Corinthians, Paul's writing, um, and he's writing to Jews and to Greeks. He talks about, um, and Passover and unleavened bread, they're kind of warped together. You know, they like one starts right after the other. Um, but you know, he's talking about getting rid of the old leaven that you may now be a new unleavened batch as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we can see then him even just, you know, rallying up the saints and telling them both Jew and Gentiles to be keeping the feast and to be remembering, you know, what it means. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, too, we see um, the timing of Passover to me in the, in the New Testament is kind of interesting because uh, the Passover is the Lord's Supper, right? From my understanding, like the Lord's Supper took place on uh, the Passover day. And so that sort of has some, some symbolism. Right. Um, yeah, that's my understanding. And um, like at our Passover celebration, we do foot washings, you know, cause Jesus tells them, you know, they're like, go out and be a servant and wash each other's feet. Yeah. Um, and so we, we do that. We do the unleavened bread and the lamb and bitter herbs. And yeah, that's what I was just going to ask you. Uh, do you guys still, do you guys celebrate Passover then? And then if so, like how exactly do you usually celebrate it? Yeah. So we do celebrate Passover. Um, we do the lamb and the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread, and we all get together. It's a lot of fun. We read the past, we read the Exodus story and we read the new Testament accounts. My sister actually wrote this beautiful rendition it's all scripture and she just weaves it all together so it's old and new testament all on the topic of passover Um, so we always read that together um and then after dinner we do foot washings so we all get down and we wash each other's feet and um i think it's really beautiful and it's full of a lot of meaning and it's a lot of fun (laughs) yeah you said you do get do you guys sorry you said you do uh sacrifice a lamb even or... we get lamb so okay. gotcha <laughs> I was gonna say. there's a lot of stuff that um you know it, it paints a picture and it's a remembrance and there's things we can't do perfectly like even if i wanted to sacrifice a lamb i mean some people do some people have strong opinions saying you shouldn't because jesus was the lamb yeah um i i think that he maybe would have said if he wanted it done any differently in the future since the point is to remember but um i don't think it really needs to be one way or the other i think the important part is that you're you're spiritually remembering you're spiritually like identifying with christ during his death and that you're looking over the past year and you know there's always kind of a time of preparation and and removing any you know any of that old leaven any of that um 
sin or just kind of contemplation um, moving forward into the next year. Yeah, I think for me, Passover, kind of touching on the the lamb part, you know, to me, um, obviously, we want to look at Jesus' example and how uh, he went about things. Like, we always want to strive to be more like Christ, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, he participated in uh, Passover. That's what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, and so, I, I think that we should participate in um, Passover. I, I think for me... Um, you know, there, there probably are little things like, you know, I'm just kind of working the, working the kinks out now thinking through it, but um, you know, sacrificing a lamb, I think that potentially Christ was the sacrificial lamb of Passover. Uh, so we don't necessarily have to do uh, something like that. Kind of like the Sabbath. Like I know your, your brother and I had a conversation about the Sabbath, like Christ came to fulfill the Sabbath. Um, and so, you know, kind of similarly, he came to fulfill what Passover uh, was meant to be. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly worth, you know, per- participating in or celebrating Passover. Um, I think we just sort of have to look at like, you know, how we do it and, and measure that based on what Christ did in the Bible. Um, but I don't know mm-hmm. that it says whether or not he personally sacrificed a lamb or not during Passover feast. So um, I would have to dig into that. Um, what's your take on um, sort of the other feasts, I guess, in the Bible as well? Because uh, from understanding there's seven feasts uh, in the Old Testament, um, do you guys celebrate every single one? Um, and do you, I guess, have information on what each one is supposed to be and, and what the celebration kind of looks like? Um, yeah, sure. So we do celebrate each one. Um, and even within all of them, the first three, three, four, um, are said to be fulfilled. Um, but the last three definitely are not, um, there's, so Passover is the first one, unleavened bread, and then first fruits falls amidst unleavened bread. Um, those are all the spring feasts. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Passover, Christ's death as our Passover lamb. We already went over unleavened a little bit. And then first fruits is his resurrection. So, you know, he is the first fruits among man to yep. be resurrected, like into, you know, a glorified body. Yeah. <laughs> um, so also a beautiful story. And we also haven't been resurrected yet. So I think a lot of these, like, there are aspects that have been mostly fulfilled. But I mean, I've heard even things about Passover, about people studying, you know, the, when God's going to go and he's going to gather all of his people from all the nations where they were dispersed, you know, and he's going to send out the angels to gather them as if, and it, you know, they're the unleavened dough. I don't know, like ways that these, these things have multiple meanings and multiple depths and you could study it forever. And um, I think just to say it's all been fulfilled is um, kind of, shallow i think that they're historical they're current and they're even still prophetic yeah um so and then there's pentecost which is 50 days after um first fruits or 50 days after um, passover sorry so that one um that was of course what they were gathered celebrating in acts when the holy spirit poured out on everyone which um people kind of say, you know, that was like the, the confirmation of the new covenant, you know, that the spirit was poured out on everyone. Yeah. Um, but it's even thought by most scholars that um, 
when the law was even given on Sinai and the old covenant was given that that was on Pentecost as well. Hmm. Um, and so again, I, you know, has multiple layers and then, um, going forward to the fall, the first fall feast is the feast of trumpets, which is one day and you just blow trumpets (laughs) and it is representative and looking forward of Christ's second coming and every mention of Christ's second coming through all the prophets and the new Testament as well. Um, it's always accompanied by the trumpet blast. So I think most people have that. What I think a correct assumption is whatever year he comes, it's probably going to fall on the feast of trumpets. Um, and that's the thing about his calendar. God's calendar is that any big event, like they, we call them, you know, Holy feast days, but they called them, what was it like appointed times? You know, the word is like Moedim, I think in Hebrew. And it's, it's God's appointed times. He's telling his people when he's going to move, you know, he's saying, I'm going to do something and you better have it on your calendar and you better be there when I'm doing it. So we don't want to miss it because, you know, the more we study, the more we actually learn about God and we learn about his character and we learn about his whole redemptive plan. And um, yeah, they're his times. So after trumpets is the feast of atonement and that's a day of kind of fasting and self-reflection. And it it really is representative of the Lord's, the day of the Lord, right? The day where he's going to come down and there's going to be judgment. Um, So it's not really one of the most celebratory ones. Um, It's kind of, uh, you're supposed to like afflict yourself, you know, you, because that part is not something we really look forward to because you know that God does not want anyone to fall to that judgment and he wants all to come to repentance and he wants all to come into covenant with him and then after that is the feast of tabernacles which is my favorite and probably everyone's favorite um it is so fun it is originally seven days but there's the the eighth day um because it's just so great nobody wants it to end Uh, and that's where you put up a tent i mean people there are gatherings all over the world where people will go and gather with fellow believers, camp for seven or eight days, you have, I mean, the, the Bible says, whatever your heart desire, you know, you save up money, you um, save up so that you can have the best wine, the best food, because you're celebrating, because you're looking forward to that time yeah. when, you know, that in Revelation, where it says that God will dwell among men, he will tabernacle among men, he will set up his home here. And, you know, he'll wipe every tear from your eyes, there'll be no more sin, no more pain, no more crying. I mean, it's beautiful. And it's a huge celebration. And it's really awesome and really fun. (laughs) And like any good Midwesterner, you just love having a a big meal, I'm sure just like I do. Uh, Yeah, and it's just um, last year was the first year that we actually got the whole time like off of work. We went up to Michigan. I mean, so we camped for a week and I mean, it was awesome. It was pitch-ins and it was late night campfires. And again, you just bring the best of everything. Like, and it was so, so fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, How has the reaction from churches that you talk to uh, been like, you know, either in your own church or even other Christians uh, that you kind of talk to about um, doing these feasts? Because, you know, I, I think if we look in the American church, like, I've been to a lot of churches in America and I, I don't think that I've seen a single one uh, celebrate any of these feasts really. Um, and so whenever you tell people, you know, that you do celebrate these, what's sort of the reaction been uh, in general? 
I think a lot of people have never even heard of them. Yeah. I mean, they kind of know maybe a Passover, um, but they just haven't, they're like, that's in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I even asked someone who is Pentecostal, you know, do, does the Pentecost church celebrate the Feast of Pentecost? Like yeah. that was the big day for you guys where you like your namesake of your denomination. Yeah. You think that would be kind of a big deal. And like um, most of the time, like they have no idea what I'm talking about, yeah. but I would say that I've, a lot of people seem really, really excited about it until, and I think that that's the issue, right? Like everybody wants to serve God and they want to know him better. And really in a lot of ways, like most Christians, they, they just want to know how to love God and love their neighbor as their self. And we're all on the same page. But then when you start using certain terminology, like, you know, well, when were those commands given? Yeah. Oh, by Moses. Oh, wait, nope. Can't do anything like, so it's just like an instant, um, you know, hammer down on the conversation. Can't go there, which I think is really sad. Um, cause it's all, I mean, God is good and everything he gave is good and perfect and just reveals more of himself to us. So, yeah, yeah. That kind of goes into another point that I wanted to discuss with you, which, um, Hold on, let me pull it up real quick because, like you said, uh, I think in a lot of people hear Old Testament and they're like, oh, that's, you know, old law. Um, you know, that's something we don't have to abide by anymore. Uh, but again, kind of w- similar to Sabbath, like whenever I talk to your brother about Sabbath, um, I think that we oftentimes fail to realize that the Old Testament was meant to point to Jesus and that Jesus was going to fulfill it. And so just because it said something in the Old Testament, that doesn't mean that now we don't do it at all or we don't even acknowledge it, uh, you know, or anything like that. Like the Sabbath is a good example. Like, you know, Jesus was doing, um, you know, something on the Sabbath that at the time religious leaders didn't think was okay, but that's because they didn't fully understand what the Sabbath was meant to be. Um, And so maybe similarly, uh, you know, with the feast is that, you know, we look at the feasts and we're like, Oh, that's an old Testament thing. Uh, and we don't need to celebrate it because we don't in our current time understand that, um, you know, what the, the true intent of that from God's perspective or God's intent was meant to be. Um, I will bring up, uh, Colossians two verses 16 through 17. I'll read these real quick, just because, uh, you know, in my own, in my own research, um, this is sort of like the, one of the common, um, anecdotes against, uh, celebrating the feast, right? Do Uh, not judge others based on their yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this is Colossians 2 verses 16, 17 says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or new, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Uh, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what's your what's your kind of uh, take on that verse, I guess? Um, well, looking into all the context, you know, they're talking to the town of Colossae and um what, like Laodicea or whatever. And those people there were mostly surrounded by pagans. There's a lot of pagan influence in those cities. So I mean, to me, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, especially from a personal perspective to say, don't let these people judge you. These pagans judge you for not doing the the things that um, most people reading that now would see as jewish you know (laughs) like don't don't let these pagans judge you for doing these godly things or for not doing these godly things sorry so i mean 
it makes a lot more sense to me to think that he's probably saying, don't let them judge you for doing these godly things because nobody gets, you know, outside in the world, like they don't judge you for um, not taking the Sabbath or what you eat or what festivals you celebrate or what festivals you don't celebrate, you know, they, but when you try to do a God thing in a God way, that's when you get a lot of judgment from the world. And, you know, the nations and especially really pagan people. Um, And yeah, so I, that's all. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, Since we're kind of talking about um, other holidays, I guess, uh, what's your take on uh, Christmas and Easter uh, in terms of like Christian religious holidays? You know, obviously uh, you definitely believe that there are religious holidays that we're meant to adhere to uh, based on the Bible. Where do you see Easter and Christmas? Uh, how, how do they play a role in that? Um, well, oof. so I feel like people today, you know, obviously they want to worship God. They want to worship Jesus and they, um, you know, that's, that's their heart in it. Yeah. Um, but Easter, like, and I feel like most people, if you're to look at like what a Christian thinks Easter is and first Friday, you know, or yeah, resurrect no what is it? Friday, Friday, good Friday, Friday. good Friday. Yeah. And then what Passover and first fruits are, they would say, you know, Oh, those are the same. Yeah. Um, but they're not the same, you know, Christ was killed. Like he was not killed or resurrected on Easter. He was killed on Passover and he was resurrected on first fruits. Yeah. And, um, so it's like this complete replacement for what actually happened. Yeah. And, I think today there's really not a whole lot of excuse to, cause when you dig into Easter, um, like it really takes just a quick Google search to kind of find some of the origins, yeah. which I could go super deep into. <laughs> um, but you know, many of the Easter traditions really originated centuries. I mean, maybe even like, you know, a long time before Christ. Yeah. Um, the bunnies, the eggs, Lent. I mean, I know a lot of Christians don't necessarily do Lent and Ash Wednesday. But that's all tied in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ham on Sunday. I mean, all these traditions have been around much longer than Christ and they're not good. And they're actually a lot of the same things. Like if you read any of the prophets, I mean, when the, like when Israel is really struggling with idolatry, um, it's not necessarily that they're just turning from God and they're worshiping idols. It's that they're trying to worship God in the idolatrous ways, in yeah. the ways that the nations worship their gods. Yep. Um, and it actually says, you know, in Deuteronomy, you must not worship me the way that the pagans worship their gods. So, yep. you know, there's no like redeem. Some people are like, oh, we're redeeming Christmas. You know, we know Christmas was pagan, but we're redeeming it. But yeah. when you read scripture, like that's not how God works. He doesn't yeah. want to like give me one example of him redeeming a pagan thing like no yeah. that's that's he kind what of explicitly like. you know uh, argues against it not you know yeah. yeah i certainly don't see anything in the bible that indicates that we should take a uh non you know jewish or christian uh celebration of some sort and turn it into a celebration of god um because inevitably it's it's not a celebration of god it wasn't created to be um and yeah right. kind of like you said with easter you know uh, i did an episode on on christmas and uh, I talked about some of these same things where even in American culture, like we've taken something that was meant to celebrate God, you know, what I'm not saying that it's bad to celebrate Christmas because in my mind, you know, any celebration of God is a good thing. Um, especially whenever 
you know, do it every day. Yeah. That's what I, you know, my argument is that Christmas should be every day from that perspective, uh, that you're just celebrating God. But the problem is that, uh, we have a, we as a culture have turned both Christmas and Easter into something, uh, that is not celebratory of God. And in fact, uh, completely celebrates other idols, uh, you know, celebrates money or, uh, you know, I mean, just all sorts of things, worldly things. Um, and that's sort of one of my big, um, issues with, with both Christmas and Easter in, in America, especially, um, well, one of the things too, um, that I hear people say a lot is they quote from Isaiah where God says, I mean, there's a couple, there's God saying, um, in Amos, you know, your, your music is I mean, basically the, your harps and lyres, they make me want to vomit and your songs of praise are, you know, sicken me. And then there's Isaiah where he says, your righteous deeds are like filthy rags to me. Yeah. Um, and in every single one of those contexts, he's talking about mixing in idol worship to worshiping him. Yep. Um, we see from reading the entire scriptures that there are people who are described as righteous and that there are, I mean, you can please him. There are things that make him smile down on you and his face shine upon you and things that bring joy and pleasure to him. Yeah. So I feel like people take a lot of those really out of context um, and just kind of say, oh, nothing we do can please God. Our Even our most righteous deeds are like filthy rags to him. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, they were mixing <laughs> paganism, trying to worship him in those ways, which yeah. is exactly what I mean, we're unknowingly doing today. And I think it's maybe also in Amos where it says, you know, I've inherited nothing but lies from my fathers. And I feel like we're kind of there now where people are, identifying yeah. some of the stuff in the church. And I mean, the more you see it, like, like with Easter, like there's just no excuse to me anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. like I said earlier, quick Google search. Um, but there are so many things that have been around, like identifiable since Bible times yep. that we still see done today. And it's, it's like the same story. So you see God being so upset, like why, you know, why are you doing this? You know, tear down all these poles, you know, these Asherah poles and these high places and stop, you know, trying to worship me in this way, in this way, or, you know, creating this mixture and oh, we just never learn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, it's not okay now. I don't think, I think yeah. he still doesn't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty confident he doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, great points. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, what do you think that, you know, sort of in the lens of, uh, you know, what, what church is meant to be doing. Um, you, you talked a little bit about how, you know, we're inheriting sort of bad traditions, bad culture from our, our fathers, you know, it's, it's so ingrained mm -hmm. in American Christianity right now, what, yeah. uh, you know, the church is supposed to look like, and it's, it's counter to what biblical church looks like. What do you think that, um, sort of the feasts or, um, you know, the, I guess, yeah, the feasts and the celebrations, what do you think that's supposed to look like uh, in the American church? How can we um, maybe get it more ingrained uh, in the American church right now? How do, how do we go about that, do you think? I think that we need to remove the stigma that those things are bad and that they're a yoke of slavery. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. that's like calling God bad and a yeah. slave driver. Like, it's, it's being able to um, you know, Moses, he, in Exodus, he said to God, you know, if you, if you find favor with me, please reveal yourself to me and reveal your character and reveal your ways so that we can please you. Yeah. And then he does. And, you know, Psalms 103 says that God revealed his character 
to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So I think it's just a huge, huge mistake and this terrible stigma that any of that stuff is dangerous because all it is, is it's God's character and it's his ways. And it's, I mean, people don't even realize when Jesus is saying, you know, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, that he's quoting, (laughs) um, I think Deuteronomy, you know, like he's quoting Old Testament. So, and all of that is, is how to do that. So if, if we want to go forward as a church where we really want to be able to love God and love our neighbor and, and it's all about being his image bearer, like even with the Sabbath, you know, it says over and over again, that this is a sign that I'm your God and you're my people. And it says from the very beginning that God worked six days and he rested on the seventh day. And so that's, that's his image there. You know, all of these things, like, obviously we like to say we're made in God's image, um, but he's invisible. Yeah. <laughs> like it says he's invisible. He's spirit. So it's, it's not our physical yeah. image. It's all the things that he's revealed to us um, that we can go through and dig out and find throughout scripture. It's um, and obviously some examples are super specific. Like if you read Deuteronomy, you're like, I don't even have a clay oven, yeah. you know, but it's like, what is this spiritual? What does this reveal about God and how does this apply today? Um, yeah. And it's all beautiful and it's all instructions on how to love and and how to be selfless and how to actually be his image bearer right so if we if we can work on that and the more you know we let like the new covenant was supposed to be writing his laws and his ways on our hearts so the more we let this transform our heart Mm -hmm. um then we're doing his will and he can use us you know i think it's ephesians that says um you know, that he made us to go out and do the good works that he prepared beforehand. Yep. So, I mean, when you, I think in, um, it's not like I who live, but Christ it. who lives in me. That's a point that I bring up a lot, you know, is that, right. Um, yeah. It's, it, we essentially, the whole purpose of baptism is that, uh, we're dying to ourselves, uh, and we're letting Christ, you know, take over, take control. He becomes the King of our existence. Uh, and I think right. that ties in with, you know, the old Testament law as well. You know, the new covenant, just like you said, is really meant to be, uh, just Christ living within us. Uh, the, the law is the same, you know, the law hasn't changed. God doesn't change his law. Uh, it's the same law. Mm-hmm. Now it's just written on our hearts and it lives, uh, inside of us, you know? Um, right. And, and I think when you understand, um, the, the, you know, law of Moses and you understand the struggle that Israel had with it, yeah. um, it's well, it's in Hosea too, where God, he's, he's so upset. You know, he's saying to Israel, I've raised you, you know, you're like my child. I taught you to walk. I taught you how to, you know, live. So he, he was teaching them. Like when he first brought them out of Egypt, um, you know, back to Passover, when he first (laughs) brought them out, the first command he gave them was literally just, all you have to do is collect bread for six days, but not on one day, you know? So it's like, it started really simple. And then he, he added, you know, as a little bit at a time as they could handle. And we see them having these truck, you know, these struggles because it wasn't on their hearts. So it was really hard for them. Um, And then, you, you know, when you, when you have the understanding, you can realize what an amazing gift it is that we can, you know, die to ourselves and die to our flesh and be, you know, freed from that slavery to sin so that we can turn and um, be obedient from the heart and have the desire to do it. And um, I mean, it's so pretty. And I, 
I feel like so many people are missing so much of like yeah. what it what it means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On that point, where is the best uh, resource in the Bible for people to really learn uh, about? You know, what is there a specific book, uh, book or two, or you know, three or four, whatever it may be, uh, that you recommend people go back and read uh, to really learn about? You know, this this in particular. Um, I would recommend the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Torah, which is instructions. Um, so it's just God's instructions. And I mean, ever since it existed, basically, it has been read. I mean, it's it has been read. There's a way that they like break it up so that you read the whole thing in a year. And that's been done forever and ever and ever. And um, when Israel got taken into captivity in Babylon, I think, um, the Babylonians were like, you can't read the Torah. It's too powerful. And they're like, okay, well, can we read the prophets? Like, it's not the same. And they're like, okay, sure. You can read those. So then they cleverly, um, it's called the half Torah. They divided it up, um, in a way that it matches similar themes and they could yeah. kind of get the same education while they're in captivity. Yep. So that's something that anyone can do in a year. It's, I mean, there's so many studies on it and there's so many, so you could do a Torah study where you read, you know, three to five chapters and there's teachers that can break it down. They go into like the Hebrew words and you just yeah. see from the very first book of the Bible, you can see God's whole redemptive plan for humanity. I mean, just yeah. over and over and over again. And I think if you don't have that basic understanding from reading like the first five books, it's going to yeah. be really hard to understand the new Testament because the new Testament is really just commentary on that. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they go in deeper. They, they don't ever go against what was written there. Like they yeah. just literally, they even say, you know, um, now that you've weaned off the milk, you're ready for solid food, right? Yeah. Well, what's the milk? Like they didn't even have the new Testament back then. So they're talking about the old Testament. You'd have to wean off the old Testament before you can understand the new Testament. But now today, like we're trying to understand the new Testament without having any knowledge yeah. of the old Testament. And they say that, you know, that that's, it's hard to understand. And if you don't have that, that basic groundwork, you're going to twist it to your own destruction. Yeah. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, you kind of talk about that because um, just last week, you know, I, I try to share the gospel with uh, a lot of people just sort of like, as I go through my daily life. And uh, I had a co couple conversations um, with some people last week who were both non-believers um, and uh, one in particular, uh, kept bringing up like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm cool with what uh, Jesus said, you know, but, you know, not really sure about like all the other uh, Old Testament stuff. And, you know, then I started to bring up some things that Jesus said that were potentially more edgy than he was aware of, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, he's like, okay, well, maybe I'm not cool with everything Jesus said, you know, and I was like, well, you know, that maybe that's because you just don't, you don't fully understand that, you know, again, uh, the Old Testament is there for a reason, you know, all that Old Testament stuff that, that you think you don't like, or that you don't necessarily agree with, like all of that exists for a reason. And it's to give us that, uh, like you said, that, that good foundation, um, you know, and who Christ is, is meant to be. Um, right. Well, and I think an important part too, like now we talk about the gospel, the gospel, and a lot of people in their minds say that the gospel replaced the law of Moses. But in Hebrews, it specifically says that the gospel that I'm teaching you now is the exact same gospel that was taught in the wilderness by Moses. Yep. So it's been the same gospel the whole time. And so, you know, we should be trying to understand 
how they're the same because <laughs> yeah. it says they're the same instead of saying oh this one's new this is old it replaces the other um because then you 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 got to try to reconcile a lot that really can't be reconciled and, and i try to have this discussion with people and they're like oh all of scripture doesn't have to be reconciled it's fine it's like what <laughs> that doesn't make sense like it's all it's all one story i mean yeah. from the very beginning you can you can see the whole plan i mean even in i mean I'm sure earlier than this, um, but like in Deuteronomy, he lays out basically what's going to happen, you know, how I'm going to give you this, but you're not going to be able to do it. And I'm going to try again. You're not going to do it. Israel's going to be dispersed into captivity and all this stuff. And then, yeah. you know, all, like he tells the whole plan all the way to the end about when, you know, all this great redemption happens. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, from the very beginning, and I was just actually on another podcast, like talking about, um, in Genesis, how, like when Joseph is in Egypt, you know, he's preparing for the, the plague, you know, mm -hmm. he's there and he has all these dreams and, um, how even just like this little story of how Joseph rose to power, how his brothers betrayed him, threw him in the pit. He rose up from the pit. He rose to the right hand of the man, basically in charge of the whole world. Yeah. Um, and then he was the one who contained the bread of life, right? And everyone in the whole world had to come to him for the bread of life. Um, and everyone had to humble themselves to receive it. I mean, it's just like, there's, you know, it's maybe two paragraphs. And in there, we see like the whole story of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, how, you know, he was betrayed. He went into the pit. He rose up. He um, is now seated at the right hand of the father and how during the millennial kingdom, there's going to be a famine, not of bread, but of the word of God. And people are going to be traveling from all over the world to the mountain to hear the word of God from him. And, you know, he's going to be teaching God's ways, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's like, you see this parallel, even then in like this tiny little blip, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's almost like God has a plan. Uh, and that, you know, kind, right. of me, <laughs> kind of brings me to my last point here. Uh, you know, obviously the name of the podcast is uh, Millennial God. You know, even uh, as society changes, as, uh, you know, our sense of, of morality, right and wrong, our sense of, uh, you know, who God is or who he is not uh, changes as a society. Uh, you know, the idea here with the podcast is that God is the same, uh, has been the same forever and will be the same forever. And he, he really doesn't change. Um, and if you guys are interested in, um, you know, sort of rethinking church and taking a look at uh, what the church is meant to be, how we're supposed to be uh, celebrating God, you know, through things like um, the, the seven feasts listed in the Old Testament or uh, how we should be treating our neighbors as a church, you know, how we should be uh, bringing people into our own homes and sharing meals with them uh, and, and essentially like taking care of uh, the local needs as a church rather than relying on uh, the government or other people or anything like that and seeing what our, our true role in society is supposed to be, uh, then this is just a reminder, go check out uh, rechurchtogether.org. Uh, that's this podcast's uh, parent company, uh, Rechurch, and, and really we're just trying to rethink church uh, and get it back to you know what God's true intent for uh, the church and society is what it is meant to be. Um, and so, Susanna, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. I'm super excited you could come on and, and talk about this because it's something that I don't have a lot of knowledge about, uh, and I'm super excited to learn. And you know, as I uh, have discussions with both you and your brother, um, I've been able to learn a lot. And so, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. It's been yep. a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yep. Thanks again. And uh, God bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, If you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.